Amen. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. We're thankful for our uh, our youth group worship leading team here. It was awesome to have them up and sharing with us today. We've been uh, over the last few weeks. We've been looking at the idea of biblical faith. What is what does the Bible call faith? What does biblical faith look like? Now, it's it's sort of a <laughs> A very important thing when you live in an area, when you live around people who believe they have faith and who actually will say to you things like, I have faith, I'm a person of faith, to realize that Webster doesn't define faith for us. We can't define faith for ourselves. God defines our faith. That either, either the faith that you have is one that has been prescribed by God or it is a useless faith. If the faith that you have, have does not connect to the reality of God and the reality of his promises and the reality of his word, then that faith is a shaky faith. And though I may try to say to you, I have this great faith, if I do not have a faith that has been revealed by God in his word, then I have no basis for confidence in that faith. And so over the the last few weeks, we've been looking very carefully at the faith chapter in the scriptures. Just like there's a love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, there's a faith chapter, Hebrews 11. And we've been going through it systematically, verse by verse, and looking at both the way that faith is described by the scriptures and then how it is lived out by the heroes of faith. So today we come to Moses and to the faith of Moses. And the writer has some very specific things to say about how faith manifested in the life of Moses and then how that same faith that Moses exhibited is the faith that God is calling us to, you to, today. And so we're going to read this scripture together. I'd like you to read out loud with me. We're going to read about five verses, verse 23 through 28. So I'd like for us to read the word of God together out loud. Would you read with me? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So just a little bit about this passage and about all of Hebrews is again to remind you that this letter was written to those who were of a Jewish descent primarily, who were living as the church. They had become Jewish Christians. They had accepted Christ as their Messiah. 
They were living out in the Roman world in a time when Christians began to be heavily persecuted. In this persecution, they were not allowed to hold jobs because if they had faith in Christ, they were ostracized and persecuted by the society. Many of them, because they went from following a form of Judaism into following Christ as Messiah, were actually ostracized and considered as dead from their families. And so many of them were cut off and had no connections whatsoever. And then there were others of them that were actually in harm's way, where because they were Christians, they suffered death and, and suffered the potential of jail or death. And so this was a, a group of people who were in some very significant trials of their life. Their faith was being tested. And there's some sense in which the writer to the Hebrews, who is filled with the Holy Spirit and writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is declaring that in many ways you don't really know what kind of faith you have until it is tested. That what is revealed in the test is a true picture of where your faith journey has progressed. And so it becomes very important for us that we recognize that many of us will often think we are farther along and others will think that you're not so far along and then the trials come and it reveals the truth. I have seen people who thought they were not very long, far along with Christ who when the trials came, they, they weathered the, the storm, they passed the test with flying colors. And I've seen others who thought they were great spiritual giants who hit a, hit a tough spot or a hard place, and suddenly it was as if they had no faith whatsoever. It is a very hard thing to recognize, but it is an essential part of faith is that faith will carry on. Faith does not give up under testing. Faith does not break when you are broken. It's something that is very true about faith. And so the writer is speaking here, and he's saying to these people who are in the fight of their lives, he's saying, you've got to keep on going. There's something, again, I, I get this overwhelming sense when I'm saying this to you, that there are some of you that you need to just hear that the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, and he's saying, it is about this word, keep going on. I don't know who that's for specifically, but I just sense the Lord wants you to hear it very personally, very directly. The Spirit of God is saying to you, keep going on. Do not give up. Do not give in. Now, part of the reason that the writer says that we go through this stripping away, which can take much more time than we want. But we begin to see, you know, you can see family stripped away. You can see your fortune stripped away. You can see your health stripped away. You can see dreams that you have not come to pass or things that you plan not come to pass. And when those things come, it is not, it is not because you are not loved and it is not because God is not good. It is actually often so that you will get to the place that all you have is Christ and that all you need is Christ, and that all you want is Christ. It is one of the most difficult lessons of biblical faith. Biblical faith is not leverage to get a new car. <laughs> biblical faith strips you. It strips every other thing you depend on. It strips everything you hope for that's not in Christ. 
It takes away things that would take away your heart. It takes away that which you've thought you could rely on. It makes it all very clear that the only reliable, the only worthwhile thing is Jesus alone. Every single person of faith goes through these desert times. Every single person of faith goes through wilderness experiences. And they can last for quite a while. And the writer to the Hebrews speaks to us just like he did to the people of his day. He says, keep going. Keep going. The call doesn't change. Keep going. The assignments change, but the God who gives the assignments does not change. Keep going. And the writer is very clear, and he begins to explain this through someone like Moses. Now, it's very possible that you could easily say Moses is the most important figure in the Old Testament. He's the most important historical figure. Some might argue and say, well, maybe Abraham was because he's the father of, of, of the nation. And he, he had such a clear uh, call by God to, to, to be the, the covenant bearer. But in many ways, Moses is more impactful because though Abraham lived and, and had this powerful relationship with God, it's Moses who wrote it down. And it's Moses who kept the record of all this. And it's Moses who tells us all. We would not know about Abraham if it was not for Moses. And so Moses not only was this incredible leader, an incredible prophet, but he also was a writer. And so he kept a record of all the things that God said and all the things that God did. And even though he was this fantastic, incredible leader and this great man, as you, if you look closely at his life, there's something in his life for you. There's something in his life for everyone. There's something about the way he connected with God and the way that he related to God that is very much like the way we relate to God. Even as God drew near to Moses, Moses said, I don't, I don't think I'm qualified to do what you're asking me to do. He had a very real sense that what God was calling him to do was bigger than he was. And so he struggled even with the idea of speaking for God or leading the people of God. And there were many times where he asked the Lord, why did you choose me to do this? Which seems to me a very common human response to God calling you into his presence and into the mission that he has for you and into the destiny. So there, I believe there's something in the life of Moses for every one of us. Now, in this passage that we just read, I think you could say that he has Moses in 3D. Okay, his delivery, his decision, and then his destiny. Now, see, I learned in seminary, that's how you preach with, you know, three... Three points, and they all have the first consonant the same, alliteration. So today is a good day. All right, let's talk about, let's talk about those three. Let's talk about those three together. Verse 23, it talks about the delivery of Moses. Fascinating because it's, it's clear to me that the writer is expressing, he's saying, Moses, by faith. But then it says this, by faith, Moses was delivered, or he was hidden. See, the word there is not an active word, but a passive word. In other words, it, the first big faith steps in Moses' life were not done by Moses, but they were done by his parents. That his parents took the first steps of faith, which then transformed the world because of their faith. Because without their, his parents' faith, there would be no Moses. 
In the days of Pharaoh, the, the, uh, the Israelites had multiplied to such a degree that they became an intimidation and a threat to their, to their slave owners. And so the Pharaoh decided that, that all males would be aborted. And so they started, that, that Moses came along under the ban of any male Hebrews being born and getting to live. So it was the edict and it was the decree of the government of, of Egypt that said to Moses' mother and father, you have a son, you have to kill that son. You have to go and drown him in the river. And so the scripture says that the very first step of faith was a mother who saw her son and said, that won't happen to him. Who had a father who, though under threat of death himself, says, I'm not going to let that happen to my son. And so it's so interesting because in Hebrews 11, it says they did it because he was beautiful. Now, isn't every baby beautiful to his mother? Even ugly ones are pretty to mom. I always think that when you get this real wrinkly, ugly looking baby and they go, he looks just like you. So funny. All of us, all of our children are beautiful to us because they're our children. Joseph, my son, our firstborn, he was nine pounds, eight ounces. Lady looked at him in the, the viewing and said, that kid should get a job. <laughs> He's 22 and a half inches long. I wasn't hurt by that. I thought, that's my son. I produced him. <laughs> like father, like son, you know. <laughs> There's something about your child. but So I, I think maybe the scriptures mean something a little more than he was pretty here. Okay, th- would, you, would you listen to me on this? I think in the moment that that child came forth, in the moment the mom saw and the dad saw, I think they saw something bigger. I, it says by faith. See, with sight, you can see that your kid is your kid and beautiful. But by faith, they said, this child is special. This child has a destiny. Do you, know, do you know what I try to do every time? I was thinking about this morning. Every time we do a dedication, I just listen. I just listen for prophetic words over that child. I just listen. Sometimes I hear things like strength. Like this morning with the Conway's little girl there, I heard the Lord is, I heard the word pursuit, that the Lord is pursuing her, that he will pursue her, that, 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 that sense of, of like she is, she is beautiful in his sight. You know, of course she's beautiful to her family. She's beautiful to us. But there's something about when the Lord says, my eye is upon this child. My heart is towards this child. There's a, there's a, there's a sense in which you're, you, you begin to understand something is unfolding about the destiny of that child. And if you're a spirit-filled parent and a faith-filled parent, you will begin to see the destiny of that child even from their early days. Sometimes a rebellious child just means they're a leader. That they're not necessarily, you know, you say, why is everything a fight with you? Because someday they're going to lead people. Someday they're going to be able to stand up to anything and everything. But if you fail in training them and in teaching them and you give up and let them be rebels, they'll be rebel leaders, not godly leaders. You see, because, I mean, what went on 
in that home where Moses was born was he had faith. He had faith-filled home. Now, one of the things that, that took place is the scripture says, by faith, they knew that, that uh, this child was supposed to be killed. They had to hide him for three months. And if you think about it, slave quarters were never very thick with walls. Slave quarters have never been very luxurious accommodations. Moses grew up in the slave quarters of Egypt. So the walls were thin and babies cry. So it very easily could have been over those three months that they could have been discovered. But the scripture says that they were willing to take that risk. And then after three months, they began to, by faith, it says, they began to understand that there was something bigger in mind for this child. And so they took the basket in which the child was being, you know, uh, sleeping, and they made the basket into a boat. They took it, and they put pitch, and they put different things that would, that would uh, allow it to float on water. And at just the right time, by faith, it says, they put the boat, the little basket boat, in the water with Moses in it so that it came at just the right time, by faith, to Pharaoh's daughter. And, th- and then the scriptures say this, that something about the cry of Moses touched the heart of the daughter. And she fell in love with the child. Not her child, a Hebrew child over whom she would have no interest whatsoever. Uh, who was, they were actually, you know, if you look at it, they were slaves. There was no way that she should have valued this child whatsoever. And yet something in the cry of Moses set her heart to compassion. And by faith, Miriam, his older sister, is right there and says, would you like me to go and get a Hebrew nurse? I just happened to know one. (laughs) Would you like me to go? And so the history says that it is very likely for the first six or seven years of Moses' life until he was kind of grown and, and passed all the terrible twos and te- terrible threes, fours, fives, sixes. And <laughs> once he got past all of those things, and then he went to the household of Pharaoh. But for almost six, seven years, he was in the household of faith. Uh, There's an interesting psychological part to this. Your personality, many people believe your personality is hardwired by the time you're about seven years old. So from the time he was born till seven years old, he was in the household of his faith-filled parents. So he breathed in faith because they breathed out faith. I love this term that I saw in connection with this. Is it said that the parents of Moses had a faith instinct. Here's an interesting thing, friends. When you begin to really walk by faith, what God is trying to do is to make it to where faith is so instinctual with you. Not where you constantly have to say, what would faith do in this circumstance? But that your instinct, your reaction, your response would begin to be when you encounter difficulties or you encounter uncertainties or you encounter things that you did not want to happen, you encounter those and what arises, what reaction comes from you is not the instinct of anxiety, anger, or depression or fear, 
but rather a faith instinct arises so that you can see a God-sized solution to a God-sized problem. And what happened is that Moses, for first seven years of his life, lived in a home of faith. It's amazing when you think that the willingness of these parents to do what they did have created such an amazing opening for the world to know God. Without them, there would be no Moses. And without their faith, there would be no Moses' faith. It's an incredible thing when you think about it. Um, I don't know about you, but I had forgotten their names. I just call them, you know, Moses' mom and dad. But their names are actually Amram and Jochebed. Notice no one names their kids after these two. I have never seen a woman named Jochebed. I don't know. It just doesn't sound that great. sounds more like a boy's name in some ways to me. But these two, the writer to the Hebrews says, these are the heroes of faith. Now, I want, you, I want you to understand something with me. Why does he bring these in? Well, very simply, there are no great people of faith without people behind the scenes. And the normal, ordinary way of God is that he uses the ordinary things of life and asks you and me to do them by faith. In a sense, these, these two people lived in obscurity. They just did by faith the modest things. They took care of their children. They taught them the word of God. They, they lived faith-filled lives in the midst of a society and in the midst of a culture that hated them. They stood for what their fathers had stood for. They stood for the promises of God. They believed in a Savior who was coming for them. They just didn't know that the one who was born in their own home would be that Savior. But they kept that faith and they instilled it into their son. They did this day after day. It's interesting because in many ways, the most powerful thing that God does is never seen. It's what he does in an ordinary way where you and I, where we make basket, those Moses baskets, and we put them in the water. It's where every day we live and everything we do, we live and we say, this I do by faith. I don't just do it by sight. I do it because I trust in God. I do it for God. I do it for the glory of God. Amram and Jochebed are the first uh, openers for the life of Moses. Without their modest faith, you would not have seen his glorious faith. Well, the second thing is in this 3D of Moses is that he has to make decisions. And it says that that having come to the place where, you know, he spent those first six, seven years with his parents in a faith-filled home, he was then taken into Pharaoh's household. And there are some parts of the historical record that said there's a possibility that Moses could have become Pharaoh, that he had some claim to 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 the crown, to the throne, but Moses was reared, you know, and, and nurtured, and he was, he was given all of this training in all the politics of Egypt. He was given all the training in the royalty of Egypt. He was given all the resources, all the, you know, all the wealth, and Egypt was an incredibly wealthy kingdom at the time. 
And so Moses, when he got to an age of, of adulthood, he had to make a choice. Am I an Egyptian or am I a son of Abraham? And so the scripture says that at the, at the moment of choosing, he actually says, the writer, that he chose Christ. That Moses chose Christ over the treasures of Egypt. He chose Christ over the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, what does, he, what does he mean by that? Well, he means that first story, and the first story didn't go so well. The first story is he decides to identify with his Hebrew brothers. He sees a taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. He sees the injustice of the moment, and he goes and he says, I'm not going to let this happen, and he ends up killing the slave master and freeing the slave. Well, I, I would imagine, and the scripture kind of makes it clear that Moses thought he had done something wonderful and that all the people would love him, that they'd be excited about him. But the scriptures tell us that the very next day, Moses, you know, still in his regal clothing and his regal stature and, you know, how noble people carry themselves with authority and all this kind of stuff. And he comes up to two Hebrew slaves and they're bickering with one another and they're arguing with one another. And he thinks, well, yesterday I solved the problem. Today I can solve the problem. You know, and he, he steps in in his own strength to be their savior. And they look at him and they say, are you going to do to us what you did to the Egyptian yesterday? Are you going to kill us like you killed him? Now, the two things from that story. One is Moses realized these people aren't really accepting my saviorness. And two, I'm in trouble because it's known I killed someone. So there were two things there. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's an analogy here. An analogy that, that is maybe not all that apparent, but is something that becomes incredibly clear as you make the same choice that Moses made. Here's the thing. If you make a decision to follow Christ, you're not just accepting Christ, but you're accepting his people. To accept Christ is to accept the people of Christ. There are many people who say to me, I really love Christ. I just don't like his people very much. I love Christ, but I don't really love the church. And they'll make an excuse and Please hear me and, and, and let it come in. When someone makes the excuse, I don't believe in organized religion, do they mean they believe in disorganized religion? What is it that they're saying in all of that? What they're really saying is I've been hurt or I'm afraid of getting hurt. Let me tell you, when Moses accepted Christ, he accepted a group of people that was a mixed bag. Someone after the first seven said it was a mixed bag of nuts. You know, because Moses himself said, why did you give me these stiff-necked people? Okay, people don't change. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. It doesn't matter what religious background you come. We are a mixed bag. We are a broken bag of people. In those very homes where there should be this nurturing faith, many of us have received some pretty unnurturing realities. Even in religious homes, many of us have been the subject of religious spirits that were used to punish us, to manipulate us, to control us, to dominate us. It is very true that, that to be with the people of God is to risk pain. And Moses was called upon. He said, I will choose Christ and I will choose his people no matter who they are. 
At some point, you have to come to realize that you've not been called into a personal salvation only. You have been called into a dysfunctional family here on this earth. You know, I only know of one perfect church in the world, and it's in Atlanta, and it's only perfect because they call themselves that. That is the actual name of the church, the perfect church. I've always wondered what it took to be a member there. But they're the only ones I know have the audacity to actually call themselves the perfect church. We are a mess. We are not that different from those that Moses led out of Egypt into the promised land. There are similarities in all of us to the stiff-neckedness, to the resistance, to the pain, to the disobedience that we see. And so when you get called into Christ, you are called not as a perfect person. You're called as a broken person. Scripture says it really clearly. It said God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not for the deserving, but for the undeserving. The gospel and the love of God is not for those who can earn it. It is for those who are desperate for it. And when you come to this place and you begin to say, okay, I I want to receive all that God has for me, then you have to take the risk of associating yourself with other people as broken as you are. Some people have told me, so these messages that I've been giving on faith have been heavy. They said, they said you know, I, I'm not sure they're for beginners. They're advanced or something. I, I, I want to talk to you about that for a minute. I just want you to, would you listen to me? There is an aspect of faith where you never get to be a beginner. You never get to excuse yourself as a beginner. Let me tell you why. Because the evil spirit, the demonic assignment against you will never be a beginner. Every single person that comes to faith in Christ immediately has a target, a bullseye on their back, their front, their face, their rear end, their feet, everywhere. There is an assignment. What better way to stop you when you're a beginner than to send an experienced attack against you? So all of us, when we start thinking, I just want to be a beginning faith person, you don't get to do that. It's almost as if you just got a little bit of training and they put you in the front line in World War II. And you're up against trained, experienced German troops. And you're like, but I'm just a beginner. You better shoot that gun. (laughs) You better aim it right. Do you understand what I'm saying? In some ways, people are like, well, I just want to be this beginner. Let me tell you, the opposition is never a beginner. The opposition is experienced. The opposition has thousands and thousands of years of data about you and your family all the way back to your original ancestor. Satan is more of a psychologist than anything else. He knows exactly where your weak points are. And so as you begin to take steps of faith, he will do everything to trip you up. 
And so in some ways, you have to realize that as you walk in faith, as you make the choices that you need to make, you make faith choices, they're advanced right from the beginning. And they have to be somewhat decisive. They have to be decisive. You can't have wishy-washiness. It's an interesting thing. This is what the Bible calls double-mindedness. There's so many ways in which, see, I, I might have, I might have a, a good thought in my head that says, oh, God is good, and then something bad happens, and up comes a thought, God must not be good because that happened to me. Or I'm sitting, I'm going, oh, God loves me. We're singing, he loves us, and the kids really like that sloppy wet kiss thing and the song, and they wanted to sing it that way and, and all, and we get all into the sloppy wet kiss of God until suddenly life becomes a sloppy not so wet and not so kiss. And it becomes difficult. And then we're like, this doesn't feel like a sloppy wet kiss. This feels like a slug in the gut. And then we go, well, well this, isn't what I, this isn't what I counted on. This is not what I was thinking was going to happen. And it's in those moments, those are the moments of faith. Those are the moments where you begin to realize, okay, my faith has to mature. And it actually has to mature quickly, and it has to mature whether you're old or young. It has to mature because the battle is real. And the battle, is, the battle has value. It has value for you, and it has value for generations after you. Now, as we look at this, this last part about the decisiveness of Moses, I just want you to understand this, this point four. Faith, the faith of Moses was not irrational. You, you have to understand, Moses was taking no leap of faith. The Bible doesn't talk about leaps of faith. This is not the idea of biblical faith. Some people will say, well, you just have to take this leap of faith. I want, I want you to, to, if you will, just track with me on this because this is very, very important. It's not an irrational faith that Moses chooses. He endured all of this that went on in his life because he saw what was invisible. Because he could see it. Because he knew it. Because he could experience it. Instead of him being blind, he recognized that all the others were blind. He understood the value of God's grace. He enjoyed God instead of the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let me unpack this a little bit from my own life. Being a person that was, that from the you know, first weeks of my life I was in church, I heard the Christian morality. And so I tried my very best to get to God by being good. Now, I could be good in a way that people could see good, but my heart was not good. And so I was really, you know, two people, the person I was at church and the person I was elsewhere. And then when I was a kid, they taught me doctrine. They taught me all the, the propositional truths and facts about God. And those propositional truths and facts about God, they had meaning for me. I liked them right from the beginning. Even from five, fifth, sixth grade, I started learning theology and loving theology. Now, I had all kinds of theology as I went into my 20s and went to seminary, and I studied under some of the top theologians in, in the U.S., and I, I was a good student, and I, I loved it. I soaked it in like a sponge, and I, I knew well Christian morality, and I knew well the behavior that the Bible teaches, but here's, here's what I found is none of those things connect you to God. All of them are true. All of them have value, but they do not connect you to God. As a matter of fact, if you look at the life of Moses, here's what happened with Moses, and here's what God is calling you and me to. Moses had an experience with the real God. 
Moses encountered the living presence of the real God. And out of his presence, Moses began to reveal doctrine. Out of actually seeing him, experiencing him, touching him, tasting him, knowing him with all of his heart, seeing him that was invisible as real, the, Moses actually got to spend his time being face to face with God. And later on, it even says that they were mouth to mouth friends, that they were that close, that they were intimate in such a way. And so Moses had this experience with the real God. He actually knew Christ himself. You see, the, the manifestation that Moses was experienced was God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, before he was ever born in Bethlehem, ever existed. He's always been. And he was real to Moses. He was speaking to Moses as a man speaks to a man. And so when Moses was writing the law and the law was being revealed, all he was writing in that is not a bunch of rules that would bind people, not a bunch of rules that would hinder people. He was actually revealing the very moral character of God. So that when you see that you should not commit adultery, it's not because God's trying to take away your fun. It's because God is not an adulterous God. He's loyal. He's faithful. What he commits to, he does. See, when he says you'll have no false witnesses, you'll not speak lies, he's not saying that because he wants you to get caught. He's saying that because he himself, in his character, there's no darkness, there's no shadow, there's no twisting. What he says is true. So you don't get to God by morality. You don't get to God by doctrine. You have to know him. You have to experience him. He has to be real to you. The rest of the world may not see him, but you do. And you say, I will not back off no matter what. I will not go back no matter what because I've seen the unseen. When you have experienced his grace, everything else pales in comparison. When he says, I love you, your heart melts because you know who he is. You know who he is. See, Moses was not coming up with a religion, he was revealing a person. He was revealing the very nature and the character of God. See, this is what faith is. Faith isn't you saying, I think what Mike teaches is okay. <laughs> faith, faith is not what your parents, it's, it's not what your parents believe. That's not your faith. That's theirs. Faith is not saying, if I do these religious things, I will be okay with God. That's faith in those things. See, that's the issue, and, and, and we, I try to be careful with this, but sometimes there are some of you, you've come from other religions, and you haven't realized that what they have is not a biblical faith. The faith that I am proposing to you is not Mike's faith. It is the Bible's faith. It is not a faith that I can attain on my own. It's a faith that only by depending on the Holy Spirit can I even realize it. Can I even experience it? 
there has to come a time of such brokenness and even abandon where you begin to say, it is all Jesus or nothing. Risen King will never get you to heaven. No religion will ever get you to heaven. I can reveal what I've seen. I can share with you what he said to me. I can explain to you what his word says, but in the end, it comes down to your decision. Is it real to you? Is it genuine for you? This is why I absolutely hate that saying that says, fake it till you make it. There's a word for that, but I can't say it right now. Not that I don't want to. Can you hear me, though? See, this is, this is what the enemy... The enemy wants you to have a camp around faith so that you will be lost and not really have faith. And what God wants you to do is to break camp and come into his presence. He wants you, he wants you to be surrounded by people who see what you see. He wants you to be surrounded by people who know what you know so that we can reinforce one another, so that we can empower one another. But there comes these moments like there did in the life of Moses where it has to be your choice. And you say, I don't care if anyone else goes, I've seen him. I don't care what anyone else in my culture thinks. I don't care what anyone else in my generation thinks. I don't even care, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I don't even care what my family thinks. I know what I know. And you cannot back me off from this and you will not back me down. And even if you reject me, if you turn me away, I know what has worth, I know what has value, and I will follow him. That's the decision Moses made. That's the faith that the Bible is calling out in each of us who are here today. It is no accident that you're here. You are here by invitation to come into a faith which is greater than anyone you've ever had before. You are being called, whether it is in a small sphere or a large sphere, you are being called to be a Moses. Your sphere may not be as big as Moses' sphere, but you're calling to be just as effective, just as impactful as Moses was in his sphere, in your sphere. In your realm of influence, you are called to be a Moses. Now, how do you do that? Well, the last one is his destiny. I, I have come to understand, as I, particularly as I look at this, you look at Romans, there is, a, there is a vital connection that without obedience, you cannot say that you have faith. Without obedience, your faith, the word faith, loses meaning in your life. If you say to me that you have seen God, that you have experienced God, that you have encountered God, and that you've had experiences with God, then you, it must lead you to obedience or else your words have no meaning. Now listen to me. This is, this is not, I'm not saying this in any other way, but just really bluntly and prophetically. Okay, I met a man one time. He had a, a good wife, and he had five little children. And they were a very, very attractive little family, but they were in some deep difficulties financially. They were having troubles in their marriage and all kinds of things. And Lisa and I started praying with them and meeting with them and stuff. And one day, the wife called me up and she was beside herself crying. And she said, my husband just had an affair with another woman 
I said, how do you know? He said, well, either she was at the lobby of the hotel or another friend was at the lobby of the hotel and he came out with a woman he just had his tryst with. And I, I was so furious. I was so angry. And I went over there to their house and, and she's kicking him out of the house. And I'm, you know, I'm praying with him. We're crying together. Lisa and I are trying to help with the kids and all that. And he comes back to my office and this guy with sincerity looks at me and says, I just want you to know I love my wife. I, I'm sitting there going, your words have no meaning. Your words have no meaning. Now, many of the men in here might be cringing right now. But although I think most of the women understand what I'm saying. If you say you love me right after you slept with another woman, I can't trust those words because they are hollow. They are meaningless. Because you have proved yourself to be unfaithful. Don't say to me you love me and then cheat on me. Right? Why is it we think we can do that with God? Why is it that we go and and have sex with the pleasures of this world and then say, but I love you. I trust you. I believe in you. Either the words have meaning or they don't. Here's the one thing I know is God always knows how much meaning those words actually have. Now, you may think it's strange in a sense that the way to combat this is is not by saying, oh, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. That's, That's not necessarily the way to combat it. The actual way to combat it is to begin to say, I'm broken. I'm broken. You understand, you will never love God until you first know his love. You will never love him. You will never be faithful to him. You will never be obedient to him until you trust him. Because look in front of us. Everywhere you go, there are things for your eyes. Everywhere you go, there are things that are telling you, trust this, trust that. Every single program on TV I watch is telling me a philosophy to believe. It's evaluating me by my clothes or by my my wealth or by my vacations or whatever. Everywhere I go, I'm being bombarded by other philosophies. The pleasures of this world are everywhere. The world is considered by the Scriptures to be the delivery system of Satan to stimulate the flesh. Notice I didn't say to satisfy the flesh. It's to stimulate the flesh because the flesh is never satisfied. And Moses made this decisive decision because he saw what was actually the greatest pleasure of all. See, pleasure is not wrong. It's just where it comes from. So how did he get there? Well, the Scripture says that Moses went from being a man in Pharaoh's house to 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, but that wasn't probably what he was thinking. I'm going to be, I'm going to be important, you know? I'm going to be, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to have value. I'm going to have worth. I'm going to have all this stuff. But God takes him out of, of the royal presence and puts him in the presence of sheep, And for 40 years in obscurity, he's in the desert 
he's taking care of sheep. Now, think about this for a minute. What is the scripture saying here? It says, well, he did it, and he did it by faith. He did it obediently. For 40 years, Moses obediently was a faith-filled shepherd. He shepherded his sheep in the spirit. That's That's what the writer of Hebrews, he shepherded his sheep as if they were Christ. Well, think about the, think about the, some of the educational bil- uh, uh, benefits of this. He learned the very desert where he was going to take the, the people of Israel. He learned where the water was. He learned where the grass was. He learned where the safe places, the dangerous places were. He had to learn that over 40 years. And God didn't unveil him as the savior of his people until he had had 40 years of saving sheep. Now, you might say, well, this is Moses' pattern. No, this is biblical faith pattern. There's one I know that God put him in a manger and had him live in obscurity for 30 years. His own son had to live 30 years in obscurity. And guess what? He had to be a carpenter during that time. He had to take care of his mother and his brothers and all of the people that depended on him. And you know what the scripture says? Every nail he nailed, he nailed by faith. It wasn't that he suddenly said, oh, I'm going to be the savior of the world. Now I'll have faith. When he was in obscurity, when no one knew him, when... The ordinary responsibilities of life were his. He exhibited faith. Moses in the wilderness. Jesus in the, in the carpenter shop. And then God unveiled them. Mo- Moses, Jesus. Don't you think there's probably something to this that God doesn't immediately take you from the moment he says, you're my son, you're my daughter, and he says, now you're going to be famous? Isn't it, isn't it likely that he takes you to school? That he takes you into training? And if you go into that training, that wilderness, if you go into that school of profit, if you go into that time of learning and equipping and you do it by faith, when you come out, there's no telling what he can do with you. But if you, the whole way you're griping, you're complaining, you're murmuring, you're whining, you're not learning. You're not growing in faith. Do you think faith arises when you get what you want? Faith arises when everything is against you. It's in those moments when you most need faith. And, And the way of the Lord with your faith is he gives you all kinds of training ground before he ever lets you go to the proving ground. It's his picture. David himself was anointed to be king. It was 11 years before he became king. It is not an unusual thing for your destiny to to be real from the day you're born, but not to be realized till you're 80 years old. That's how old Moses was. Oh, can I tell you one other cool fact? Moses' father lived to be 137. He got to see Moses fulfill his destiny. Isn't that awesome? He saw that. He was with him. He doesn't play this huge role after that, but he's there. He sees his son become the man that he was destined to become. The beauty they saw him at his birth, they they saw him realize at 80 years old. It 
it is not surprising to me if God has hidden you for a time so that he can reveal you when it is time. In the spiritual world, it often looks like someone's an overnight success, but usually there's 40 years behind it or 30 years or 11 years. Usually it's not immediate. There is this mistaken thing that we sometimes do in the Christian faith is we get a celebrity who comes to Christ, we immediately put their testimony everywhere. You want to know something? That testimony has almost no value whatsoever. It's us thinking by, by famous people, there'll be more weight. I'll tell you what has weight is when you're 80 years old and you're still going for it. See, one of the biggest things in life and one of the things that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get you to think about is will you finish well? You do not finish well if you don't keep on in the middle. You don't finish well if you don't go through the test, if you don't pass the tests. And the tests come sometimes fast and furious. But biblical faith is where you go, I have seen him, I have tasted his goodness, I've experienced his grace, and whatever the world can throw at me, whatever Satan can throw at me, whatever my flesh cries out for, those things are not valuable to me. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And Moses was that way. And so the writer says, be like Moses. Be like Moses. Think about it for a minute. Can you, can you hear me this morning? Think about it for a minute, the sphere of influence or the realm in which God has given you an assignment. You know, whatever it is, if you're a parent, it's over your children, it's over your home. If you're a, you know, at your work, you've got a realm there. You may be an employer, you may be an employee, whatever it is, but you have a sphere of influence. In that sphere of influence, you are being called to be Moses. You are being called to lead people to Christ. You're being called to lead people to God. You're being called to be more than just one who gets by. You're being called to choose Christ and choose his people. You're being called to be a man or a woman of faith. This is the day that the Lord has invited you into a deeper decision for him. Everything, whether you know it or not, everything in your life has lined up for you to be successful. Even your pain, he will use. He will train you by your pain so that you can be successful. Every, every slight you've ever had, every offense that everyone's ever done for you, that too can be redeemed by the blood of the lamb and it can be redeemed by the love of God. There's not a single thing that's ever happened to you that he can't turn it around and make it have value beyond measure. He is a God who redeems. Even if he sends you for 40 years to, to tend sheep, he's not forgotten you. Even if he sends you 30 years to pound, pound nails into wood and, and to, to make yokes for oxen, he's not forgotten you. Even if what's going on in your life now seems to have drug on forever and you wonder, will I ever, ever be over with this? He has not forgotten you. He is as much God in the desert as he is in paradise. And those who have faith in the desert will always come out into paradise. Can you hear me today? Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask, uh, ask the prayer ministry people if you'd come forward for me as we're praying. Come now.
I, I just sense, I, I, I have such a strong impression that God is calling out And it's funny, it's the word that keeps coming is the word beautiful. Just like with Moses, he said he, they saw that he was beautiful. Guess what? God sees, and, and don't take offense to this, guys, but there's a sense where beauty has, it, it's not just feminine. That when something is beautiful, it's pure, it's true, it's, it's strong, it's wondrous. And it's not just a feminine quality. There's a, a sense of something special. And I just sense as we're praying, I, my eyes are closed, and I just sense the Lord just wanting to touch you, care, take you up in his arms and to say, you are, you are like Moses to me. You are beautiful to me. I have hidden you, but now I am revealing you. I've trained you, but now I am releasing you. And then some others of you, it's, it, it maybe the Lord is saying to you, I've been training you, but you've not been responding. You've not been listening. You've not been obedient. You've not trusted me. You've said you love me, but you don't do the things of those who love. And then there's some where it's just the Lord. I mean, he is speaking to all of us if you Listen, but there are some of you, the Lord is just saying to you, I love you. I have a plan for you. I have a destiny for you. Doesn't matter if you're, you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter if, if you have great spiritual past or you have no spiritual past. I'm calling you to me. Moses, Moses attained to a position where Jesus spoke to him face to face, mouth to mouth, imparted to him his very nature, his character, and revealed to him the very, the very thoughts of God. I feel like the Lord is speaking to some of you, if you'll listen, he's saying, will you take that position with me? Mouth to mouth, word to word, face to face, heart to heart. And not just, not just be this stand-alone, stand-offish person, but to really make the decision today, Jesus is mine, and I am his. Lord, as, as I make that appeal, I pray that you, knowing that you're at work, and knowing that there are those who will receive and those who will resist, but Lord, I ask that even that those who would resist, that today you'd put the hard press on. And that they would say, I, I see you. I see you. I, I'm so thankful for all the doctrine I've had. I'm so thankful for the morality, Christian morality that you've taught me. But I am more thankful than ever that I get to see you. That I know your grace. That I love you because you, your love is real to me. That whatever faithfulness is in me is because you are faithful. I don't want to lose this moment. I, we'll have people up praying. But if there's some way the Lord has touched you this, this morning and you just sense you want to make a deeper call to faith, would you join me up here? We have no music right now. There's, there's no way to woo you in, so it's just going to have to be straight up. 
you're just going to have to say, I, I, you know, I'm going to make a choice. There's something going on in me. I want to be here. I want to go through the wilderness. I want to have faith in the carpenter's shop. I see the unseen. I want to see the unseen. Whatever it is, I just want you to come up and, and uh, if you can, come closer to me. Just come over here towards me. And uh, I want to pray over you, and then th- these others will pray over you as well. Father, you know what, exactly what's going on in each heart here. You know what you're speaking. You know the invitation that they're receiving. But I do sense there's a lot of trials here. There's been a lot of tests. And there's been a long time in the wilderness. And so I hear the Father saying, and I want you to hear this from me, even though it's my voice, I believe the Father is speaking over. Well done. Well done. For, and this is very specific. Some of you have maintained the course. You've at times let up and you've let down and you know that. You haven't been perfect. But the Father says, well done. That you've held on. That you've continued. That you've stayed with it. He's the one who rewards. Moses understood this. He was looking for a reward, but it wasn't immediate. It was the bigger reward. It was the salvation of the people. It was the saving of his family. Many of you have looked for that as well. Not just to save yourselves, but to see a bigger salvation for your family, for your friends, for your community. The Lord says, well done. Lord, as this faith got people out of their chairs and brought them up here, I activate that faith now to go to the next level in Jesus' name. To go beyond where they've ever been before and to know you in a way like they've never known before. Letting the things of the past be behind, but pressing forward now in the name of Jesus. And I want to invite you, I'm, going to, I'm just going to say a declaration and make a binding over you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, anything that is not an assignment of God, anything that is an assignment of Satan right now, I bind you from every person that's up here at the front. Satan, you, your, your schemes against them, I cancel out. Your, your ground that you have had in either double-mindedness or doubt, we cast it out now. We renounce it and we command that you go to the feet of Jesus right now. I bind unbelief. I bind control, fear together and say, go to the feet of Jesus right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose these from these schemes and actions of of Satan that have kept them blinded to the faith that they have and the faith that will release them into a new day of power and blessing. I, I loose this now and I ask even now, fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us full and overflowing. Holy Spirit, baptize us afresh. Your gift of faith we receive. You say that with me. Your gift of faith we receive. See, he can give more. This isn't all there is. When we come to a dead end, it's just so that we'll learn to cry out and say there must be more. So we say that with me again. Your gift of faith faith I receive. receive. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you want to stay up here for a bit, if you want someone to pray with you, do that. Just make this a time of business with the Lord. And everyone else, God bless you. Give each other a hug. 
Say hello to the people you haven't seen yet. Have a great week. Alvaro. Perfect.